Who's glad they're in church tonight? Come on. Who's glad to be in church today? Wow, 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 wow. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And the best is yet to come. Hey, let me tell you, I'm so excited about introducing our speaker tonight. Uh, you know, our church, one of our battle cries is that we do what others will not do so that God can use us to accomplish what others will never accomplish. And 15 years ago, I drove to uh, Colorado to invite our speaker to leave his beautiful executive home overlooking the mountains in Colorado Springs, leave his executive job, and come work at our church directing the missions ministry of our church. And he prayed about that, and he counted the cost, and he entered into that seriously. And a few days later, he called me and said, I'm in. I'm in. And since that time, Dave Stewart has encouraged so many people to do what others will not do. Yeah, to accomplish what others will not accomplish. And I'm telling you, man, our church under his leadership has just had an extraordinary surge forward in terms of our outreach, not just here locally, but around the world. And I just don't think we ever would have been able to accomplish that if God had not spent so many years building that horsepower in Dave as a, as a leader and a planner and an organizer and a prayer and a goer and a let me hold this thing accountable and man, let's look this thing over and let's make sure everything's being honorable to God. And I'm telling you, his leadership has been an amazing thing. I told you last week that over the last 17 years under his leadership, our church has given over a million dollars a year uh, to global outreach, which is just an amazing, amazing thing. And we ought to thank God for that, y'all. Let's thank God. Awesome. But tonight he is going to challenge you today. He is going to challenge you to do what others will not do so that God can accomplish through us what others may never accomplish unless they rise up and follow the leading in the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus did. Go as a rescue team to those who have never heard the gospel. So David's going to come and challenge us. Let's give a warm, compassionate Christian welcome on all of our campuses to Pastor Dave Stewart as he comes to bring the word to us today. You're a man, man. Thank you, brother. Wow. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Let's make sure we get something straight right off the bat. I'm not taking any credit for any of this, okay? Because the last thing we want is the hand of the Lord taking off what he's doing through Compassion Christian Church around the world. And whew, thank you, Cam, though. I really appreciate it. And Cam's been a friend long before, long before I knew the Lord. So that's another story. We'll get into that some other time. But um, <laughs> first of all, I just want to say I'm so excited to be here and have a chance to, to really share with you this today and to, to really just talk about what God has placed in my heart. I say this too, you know, a lot of times technology gets a bad rap, but one of the things we're really thankful for is that we can be a church that meets in multiple locations and we can all worship together like this. And so we welcome everybody in who's at other campuses and watching the live stream and, and all my missionary buddies who are around the world. Hello to all of you out there too. I know there's going to be some people tuning in because they love this part of, of the, uh, the year. So uh, what I wanted to do is just kind of start off, you know, as we get this faith promise celebration, I was thinking about something and I wanted to make sure that uh, I don't get any credit for this thing. I want you to really know who you're dealing with here, first of all. How many of you remember back when Southwest Airlines did the commercials with the theme of want to get away? Remember this? And they did it. And the whole idea was to uh, put people in these really embarrassing situations. And the idea was you're in such a bad spot. You should probably buy a ticket on Southwest and fly somewhere, right? Well, let me tell you real quick as we get started, I want you to hear my want to get away airline story, okay? So a few years back, I was on a plane, I was going on a mission trip, and I had to fly to the country of Trinidad, down off the coast of South America. 
And as I was going, I had a 6.30 a.m. flight. And most of you know, if you travel at all, that you have to go through Atlanta just about to get out of Savannah, right, if you're going to fly. And so I had a 6.30 a.m. flight to, Savannah, to Atlanta. Everything was good. Everything's on time. It's all going great. I go up when my group gets called, and I go forward. I go to scan my boarding pass, and it makes a funny noise. And they tell me, you've been upgraded to first class. And I was like, okay, the day's getting better by the minute. This is, a going, this is going great because, you know, I fly a lot, and every now and then I get that perk. Well, I had seat 1B. 1B is first row, aisle. It was, everything was perfect. I get on the plane. Um, of course, everybody else in first class is already on. And you know what happens when you're the last one in the section. The, the overhead bins were full, right? So there's no room for me to put my backpack that I had with me. And uh, so... I looked, and this one's packed. I looked over here, and there was this little hole about this size, and I decided I can cram my backpack into that hole, okay? And so I did. I crammed it in, and then I went to shut the bin, and it wouldn't quite close. But anybody who knows me knows I was going to get that thing closed, okay? So I just kind of made sure everything was inside, and I gave it a good hard shove. Wham! And the hinge broke, okay? And so now I'm sitting here holding this broken overhead bin compartment, and of course, I did the noble thing. I kind of stuck it back in place and sat in my chair. <laughs> no, actually, I told the flight attendant, we got a little problem here. Long story short, she went and got the pilot. The pilot came back, looked at it, and said those words I'll never forget. Better call maintenance. At that point, everybody in that section, did I mention I was in the front row? Everybody was behind me watching. <laughs> and so I, I sat there, and they had to call a maintenance person to come, and it took 30 minutes for the maintenance person to get there. The longest 30 minutes of my life. I kind of shrunk down in the seat. I was just sitting there going, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Eventually he comes and he, uh, he looks at it and he pulls out a roll of duct tape and duct tapes it shut. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I've got duct tape in my backpack. I could have fixed this, okay? But it wasn't. And, you know, and there was a guy sitting next to me. He was obviously a business guy. He was not in a good mood. Um, at one point he called his assistant. I heard him telling his assistant to book him on another flight out of Atlanta because he knew he was going to miss his connection and everything. And I leaned over after he got off the phone. I said, man, I'm really sorry about this. And he said, well, you ought to be. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, that's good. And I could hear, I mean, I was hearing language that I haven't heard probably since high school. There was a lot of craziness going on in there. And so I'm just waiting, please, Lord, let the wheels start moving so I can get beyond this, okay? And about that time, there was a, a, an older lady sitting behind me. She reached around and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, don't worry, you didn't do it on purpose. Jesus loves you. <laughs> and I remember distinctly thinking, yeah, but he's the only one on this plane who loves me right now, okay? <laughs> and so we, finally the wheels started moving. We took off. We took the short flight, got to Atlanta. I got off the plane and everything. And I was praying the whole way that everybody on that plane would make their connection, except for the guy next to me. I was hoping, <laughs> kind of hoping he would miss, okay? So you know, it was a really bad moment, but it got over, and I can laugh about it now, okay? And I realize that now. It was just a temporary season. But what I really want to do right now is I want to tell you about my real want-to-get-away moment. This happened to me in the year 1997. It was on my very, short, my very first short-term mission trip, going to the country of Haiti. And I went, and, you know, and I went with a humble heart. I did like everybody who goes on their first trip. I was naive. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I went in allowing the Lord to speak to me. And at one point in that trip, I was sitting with another man. It was a Haitian man who had invited me to his home. And he was in a, it was a hut about like this you see in the picture right here. And I was inside. We were talking about families. And I was trying to listen. And he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, 
Dave, you said you have three sons, right? I said, yeah, that's correct. He said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night by the sound of one of your kids crying and you know they're crying because they're hungry and there's nothing you can do about it? And I remember sitting there and I kind of stammered and stuttered through an answer and I finally had to say, no, I have no idea what that really feels like. And he said, well, I guess you don't know what it means to be poor then, do you? And I can remember sitting there thinking about that and how that moment God changed the trajectory of my life. My value system changed in that moment. I had been, some information had been revealed to me that I had never thought about before. And I think about it afterwards. I thought about it for a long time afterwards. And the thing that I landed on that was so, I don't know, it just, it, I couldn't get beyond it was, it wasn't just that he was in a situation where he was materially poor. It was the fact of his attitude. His attitude was, this is it. This is all there is to it. This is as good as it gets. It's going to be like this my whole life. The hopelessness of that. And again, that experience began a journey for me where six years later, I was blessed to come on the staff of this church and to be a part of this great team and to see what God has done through our church since then. It's just been amazing. But as I became more and more involved in the ministries outside the walls of this church, I began to see this isn't just Haiti. This is happening all over the world. It's happening here, too. I saw that there are places on earth where a lot of Americans just really can't even understand what life is like. And beyond that, really, honestly, just don't even want to know about it. Let me say it like this. Today, there are people on this earth who are living in places of hell on earth. I was thinking uh, a couple years ago, Kyle Kixmiller, who's on our team, he and I went on a trip to the country of Pakistan. We went up to the city of Lahore, northern Pakistan. And while we were there, we were visiting our partner ministry there. Now, we went there because there's a lot of persecution on the church there, and we wanted to encourage them. And we also believe strongly that anybody we're going to partner with financially, we're going to be on the ground and see what's going on there. We went, and you see this photo here. We arrived at 2 o'clock in the morning. And by the time we got through immigration and customs and got our bags and got outside, I was just hoping that somebody would be there to meet us that was a friendly face. And what we saw when we got out was about 150 brothers and sisters in Christ standing out there waiting for us just to thank us for coming to see them and be a part of what God was doing there. It was amazing. One of the things we did while we were there was we visited a place they called the Brick Colony. Now, the Brick Colony is a place where, uh, it's, it's, I can't use words to describe exactly, it was so hot, one of the hottest, hottest places I've ever been. Um, and these people work to, to bake bricks, basically. They make them out of clay, mold them, and then they have to stoke fires and keep the fires heating the bricks for about a month straight before the bricks are strong enough to be able to be used in construction and everything. So we got there, we were there, you can see in the picture, like those the holes or the fires these guys keep them going. And the, and the people who do the work there are almost all believers. They are all Christians because it's one of the very few jobs that a Christian can get in a country where it's primarily a, a Muslim culture. While we were there, we met several people. We heard some stories. One of, the people, one of the persons that I'll never forget was a young girl named Samina. Samina was 16 years old and had a really kind of a great story when it began. She and her family had been led to Christ a little bit before, a few months before that, by our partner, Pastor Yusuf. Uh, and they had all given their life to Christ and been baptized, and, and they were celebrating that. But they were working in the brick colony. 
And the way the system works there is that every summer there's a monsoon season and the brick colony shuts down, there's no work because of the rain. But then they also they have living expenses and so they have to take out loans from the Muslim landowners. They end up being in debt by the end of the year, become indentured servants or basically slaves. And that was the situation with Samina's family. And she came to Pastor Yusuf and was saying, can you please pray for us? Because we are about five, equivalent of 5,000 US dollars in debt and the landowner, who's a Muslim man who's between 65 and 70 years old, has come to my father and offered him a deal. He'll forgive our debt if, if he's allowed to marry me, is what she said. The 70-year-old landowner with a 16-year-old girl. And she was asking him to please just pray that there was a different solution to this problem. Now let me ask you, what do you do when you're in a situation like that? How do you come back and somebody says, how was your trip? And you say, oh, it was great. God wanted me in that moment, I believe, to open my eyes and see the brokenness of this world that he sees every day. So think about this. Are there really places of hell on earth? You know, if, if children in Zimbabwe are dying from cholera and other waterborne diseases, you know, illnesses that are very treatable here in the United States, then I would imagine there's some parents who think that's a pretty horrible place to live. If sick elderly people in hospitals in the country of Ukraine are lying in bed with no treatment because they don't have the money to pay the bribe that's required, then they probably consider that a place of hell on earth. If children in our area here are being shipped off to institutionalized homes in places like Atlanta and other big cities because there aren't enough foster families available to them in this area, I imagine they probably think of that as a pretty tough situation too. And if little boys in rural Guatemala are just dreaming of the day that they can be like their dad and be the one who gets to come home and get drunk and beat his wife and his children, then I'm sure there are people who consider that a place of hell on earth. Now, I'll be honest, I'm telling you all this because I want to disturb you. I want to bother you. You know, being disturbed is where change comes from, and sometimes transformation uh, requires being disturbed in a situation like this. But the truth is, the things that Jesus spoke of, the truths that he brought, were very disturbing to the people who heard him speak. The first time he taught in Nazareth, he reminded the people of his purpose and his mission. He said, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. But he also told them, I am the Messiah, but I'm not here to battle the Romans. And God is for everyone, not just the Jews. And when he told them that, it says in Scripture, they tried to throw him off of a cliff. And in fact, that message ended up costing him his life. So, we all know there are people who are living in terrible situations in the world today. But you know what really makes it so bad? Back to what I said about the Haitian father. It's that idea that people are living in places where they, just, they are resigned to the fact that this is it. This is all there is. This is as good as it gets. That's it. This is my lot in life. Here's the good news. Jesus came to cure hopelessness, right? He came to cure hopelessness. And he was very passionate about that purpose. You know, the scripture says in Luke 19 that for the son of, Jesus said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then later in that same chapter, we see where Jesus, he was preparing to, to enter the city of Jerusalem and he was coming down and he knew the fate that awaited him, the horrors of crucifixion. 
And the scriptures tell us in uh, verse 41 that he was overcome with emotion for the people. It says that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But today it's hidden from your eyes. It broke Jesus' heart that so many people were unaware of what he really came for. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me. You've got your Bibles. Turn in there to uh, the ninth chapter of John, okay? Pull out your Bibles. Go to the ninth chapter of John. This is an amazing section of Scripture. I'm actually going to focus on the beginning of, 10, of, of chapter 10, but I want you to kind of have the context of what's happening in chapter 9. So in this situation, uh, we see this well-known story about a man who was blind from birth. Jesus comes in and heals him. And then once he's healed... The Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders of the time, they were trying to kind of turn this whole situation around and show that Jesus had violated the Sabbath, that he had broken God's law, and that it was actually a bad thing that this man could now see. And there's this great conversation that happens there in chapter 9. But it gets to the point where uh, finally the man is talking, the, the Pharisees are questioning this man about who healed him, what happened, and all. And finally he says such simple, powerful words. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. And so back and forth, they, he's not giving them the answers they want. They end up tossing him out. Jesus finds the man, it says, and Jesus talks to him, and Jesus reveals to the man who Jesus actually really is. And in, then in verse 38, it says that the man said, Lord, I believe. And it says, and he worshiped him. So he had received his physical sight, now he had his spiritual sight, and he worshiped God in that. But what I want you to see is what happens there at the end of chapter 9 and then on into the beginning of chapter 10. Jesus turns the message and he begins to confront the Pharisees and he's really warning them about their pompous arrogance and what they've got going on and how it's actually keeping them spiritually blind. And so what you see there as you look into it is that he's using terminology that... Uh, that would have been very familiar in those days. You know, he uses a figure of speech about sheep and a shepherd and gates, and he's explaining about there's only one way to come in. This is the right way to enter in. If you come in any other way, you're a thief. And then he makes it very clear that he is the gate. He says this, okay, in verse 10 of, of John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Right? powerful promise right there for us he's talking about here and now he's saying i came that they may have life and have it abundantly some versions will say and have it to the full or to the fullness now i want to stop for a second i want you to think about this we're going to we're going to go into that a little bit but i want you to think about this thought what makes jesus's promises more valuable to you and me than say if i promised you something or if your friend did or something because this is the skeptic who's going to ask you this question. How do I know that that's, that promise is true? And I want you to look at what happens right after that, if you see it in chapter 10. Jesus is talking about this, again, about him being the gate. And many, many people have made uh, sacrificial commitments, even to the point of giving their lives so that others could live. And we honor people like that in our cultures. But Jesus is the only one ever who could make the statement that he makes in the 18th verse here. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. And that's what he did. 
He was resurrected on the cross, and Jesus lives because he was able to do that. No other human being before or since has ever been able to make a promise like that and back it up, okay? That's why Jesus' promises are so much more valuable than mine, all right? All right, so think about this. So what does it mean when he talks about this abundant life? Some people think about abundant life, and they think about it as, you know, getting things rather than giving. And, and this is one of the biggest threats we see in, in uh, the spread of the gospel around the world, this prosperity gospel, this idea if you'll accept Jesus, you'll get all kind of material things. And desperate people fall for that sometimes. But what everyone knows, I don't care who you are, what everyone knows is that the most joyful people in your life are the ones who are the most outward focused, right? The people who care for others, who do for others. You're never going to see a real stingy person be the happiest person you know. It just doesn't work like that. The message of the gospel is love, and it's hope for anyone who would receive it. Here and now, abundant life. I saw author J. Ellsworth Callis says it like this about abundant life. He says, I believe that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he not only saves us for an eternity after death, he brings eternity into our lives here and now. To the degree that we allow the Lord to do so, he helps us to sleep better, eat better, talk better, love better, laugh better, and hope better. He brings a continual excitement into life. We don't seek to escape from this life, but we do expect to trust something beyond this life. Not simply when we die, heavens, no. We expect a quite amazing touch on our lives here. Jesus promised abundant life to anyone who would receive him as Lord and Savior. And you know what, church? We are the chosen method of communicating that message to the world. Now, one other thing I want you to think about. There's some logic out there, and, and this, is, this makes somewhat sense, but you'll hear a lot that the most depressed people in the world are those in the most developed countries, in the West, in America, where we have the most material things, and we, we spend our lives chasing material things and buying more toys and getting bigger houses so we can buy more stuff. And then we have to get a bigger house so we can get more stuff. Then we get a storage unit so we can put our stuff in it, right? And you hear this, and you, and you hear about people who are depressed because they figure out that that is not the key to joy in life. But I want to show you this. This is an amazing map I want to put up where you can see this. This is a map that shows the uh, incidence of diagnosed clinical depression in the world today. And what you're looking at here on this map is the more red that the country, the higher the incidence of depression you see what you, what you see here, North Africa, Middle East, uh, Russia? What you see is that the places that have the least ac uh, access to the gospel of Jesus are the most depressed places. That's not a coincidence. There's a reason for that. It's because of the hope that comes in Christ. Jesus promised abundant life. Some of these places we see here that are so red on this map, overwhelmingly, it's because they live under a spiritual darkness. And someone has to tell them about the promises of Jesus. That's our calling as the church. And I think there's one more really important distinction I want to make here, okay? So in America today, when we talk about the poor and caring for the poor and that kind of thing, uh, you know, we have a very 21st century definition of what that means. Usually it means the people who have the least amount of discretionary income, the people who, who have the least access to stuff, Right? And we look around, and, and I can look at everyone around me, and I can say, they all have more stuff than me. They have a nicer home, nicer car, whatever, and suddenly I feel poor. 
But what Jesus is talking about is very, very different. He had a very different definition of the poor. He was talking about people who were broken or bankrupt and in one or more of these five areas, relationally, emotionally, financially, physically, or spiritually. If there was brokenness in a person's life in one or more of these areas, then that's a poor person, correct? And I think about this, and honestly, when I look at this list, it hits home to me. For someone who came to the Lord at midlife, I never want to forget the feeling that it felt like to be broken. I can remember being very successful in life as the world defines success and getting up on Monday morning and going to a job that I was good at and knowing there was something missing, knowing I had a hole in my heart. I never want to forget what that feels like because the joy of Christ is what was missing in my life at that time. Jesus invested his life in coming to earth for broken, bankrupt, poor people like me. Amen? That's how I feel. So my prayer is that during this faith promise celebration, our church family, you know, an amazing church family that chose to call ourselves compassion and then take that name very seriously. I'm just praying that we as a church will be less able to ignore the poor, people who are hurting and living outside that abundant life that Jesus offers. I love how Pastor John Weiss puts it. He says it like this. When we serve the poor, we aren't serving Jesus personally, but Jesus sure takes it personally. That's our calling as the church. I believe God wants us to live bothered by all the things around us that aren't right, whether that's here in our own neighborhoods or around the world. The world's a broken place, and he has put his church here to make it a better place. Now, again, this is a week where, you know, honestly, we're looking to see you become more involved at a deeper level. Wherever you've been, I'm praying that you're trusting God a little bit more today than you did yesterday as we talk about the things and how we can make a difference in our church family about going outside the walls. But you're not going to, I'm not going to show you photos of starving children and then pass the hat. That is most definitely not what this is about. Because you see, the goal of faith promise is not that you become a bigger donor. It's that you become a better disciple. And you understand and you have a little closer heart to the heart of Jesus when you see people. And it's not, again, it's not just about material poorness. It's about spiritual poorness. It's about the idea of seeing someone in their brokenness or their messed up place and going, I know what they need. So listen to me now, please. Please don't misunderstand my heart in this. Discipleship is not just about huddling together in Bible study or singing songs of praise each week. I mean, these things are critical to our walk with the Lord this corporate gathering and what we do here in our life groups and that. But, but maturing in your faith walk is also very much about walking in the hard places Jesus would walk into. And that's what I ask you to consider. Preaching, studying God's word, and then doing something about it. That's what the church is supposed to be. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says it like this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's our calling, telling people about the abundant hope and life that's found only in knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then releasing them from the lies of that enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy everything good about their life. Now listen, I, I don't know where you are right now this week. Uh, I'm sure for every single person sitting here that if you were honest with us, 
There's something we could pray with you about right now that's going on in your life that's causing stress in the areas of relational, emotional, financial, physical, or spiritual situations. There's something there that's, that's, that's going on. But I want you to hear me on this. If you're a part of this church, if you're a part of what God's doing through our faith promise resources around the world and in our local neighborhoods, then you have reason to celebrate today. You should be celebrating things like the fact that in North Africa right now, there are university students who are meeting with people from our church body, and they are hearing truth about Jesus and accepting him as Lord for the very first time. That's reason to celebrate. In Zimbabwe, you've heard a lot about Zimbabwe. When we provided that foundation years ago of clean water and irrigation equipment and community gardens, what's happening right now is African farmers are they're providing for their own families and it's restoring the dignity and self-respect that is so crucial to letting people get up on their own feet and take care of themselves. You should be celebrating that. Children in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti are being rescued from, from human trafficking and they're being restored holistically through our partner ministry there, Black Box International. You're a part of that. And in Ethiopia, in the Ethiopian church, we have young people from our church who were raised up here as small children up through the children's students ministry who are now over there in Ethiopia and they are training up Ethiopian pastors to go into the most rural areas and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And in Guatemala, there are godly men and women who are raising up a whole new generation, letting go of the values of the past and leading with integrity in their homes and in their communities. You're a part of that and you should be celebrating that. And by the way, you remember the story of Samina, the 16-year-old girl faced with this horrible choice that she had to make in a brick colony of Pakistan? You were a part of buying Samina's freedom for her whole family. We were able to pay that debt, get her out of there, get the entire family out of the brick colony. Yes, praise God for that. God used our church to take a piece of heaven to a place of hell on earth. Here and now. That's what's happening. Jesus promises his followers abundant life. You know, it isn't an especially long life. It, it, he isn't promising a really comfortable life. He's promising a life of satisfaction and contentment in him. Joy, hope, abundant life, here and now. That's his promise to all of us. And together we can do so much more than any of us can alone. So I want you to, I want to just hear one more story here before I go. And this is the story of Aldo. Now, Aldo is a teenage boy in Guatemala. He's connected with the Buena Vista Sports Academy. We call it BVSA for short. And I want you to hear the story of how God used many people, including people from Compassion Christian Church, to fulfill the promises of Jesus in Aldo's life. So watch this.
all over Aldo. You know, having Aldo being able to walk, being able to be an active kid, normal kid, it's just, it's just amazing. Me imagino my life if the academy was not there. For me, being a rino is to be in family. They have taught me many times, even if we are alone, we never have to be alone because many times caemos y si estamos en familia siempre nos van a levantar también así mismo me ayudaron a caminar a seguir con una vida normal y de todo eso aprendí a valorar la vida porque una solo hay una vida para todos en our Aldo is right now it's such an inspiration, not just for the boys, but for everybody here. So I think that the, the accident have bring a such a unity with, uh, with the boys. They treat him like a normal kid. And that's been so beautiful to see that. Y les voy a dar una cita bíblica. Este en Juan capítulo 15, versículo 13. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So we're so thankful to Compassion Christian Church and all our, our friends and family that support BBSA and every step that um, this academy and the future plans will take. Thank you, Compassion Christian Church, for giving me the opportunity to be this blessing, the tool through which the outstretched hand of Christ has been able to restore life and blessing to Aldo. He said, I can't imagine my life if the academy didn't exist. You know what's in the news this week with murders in Mexico and things? These kids are being led in the right direction. You know, the thief wanted to steal, kill, and destroy all those life. And Jesus and his church had a different plan for that young man's life. Amen? Amen. Right? An abundant life is just too good to keep to ourselves. That's what it comes down to. And again, if you're part of this church and what God's doing through us, and you should be celebrating today. Whatever's going on, you should be celebrating what God has allowed us to be a part of. You have a lot of reason to celebrate. You know, in John 3, 17, the scripture says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the message that we take outside the walls of our church. Life in Jesus is about eternity, and it's also about abundant life here and now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, the way that you uh, have allowed us to see the miracles like this in all those life and to be a part of it and the way you've brought so many together, so many people at this church, Lord, and around the world. We see your kingdom growing in so many ways. It's just, uh, it's, uh, it's overwhelming sometimes that you've allowed us to be a part of it. But I pray, Lord, for every person here today that we would be able to go forward boldly courageously trusting you a little bit more that there's a purpose for us in all of this and that you can use us to share that amazing amazing story 
of life abundant that comes only in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.